Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read beginning in verse 1. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gebeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of one was Bozes, the name of the other Senna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come up to you, then we will stand in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison held Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, killed about twenty men within, as it were, a half-furlough length and an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gebeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Paul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. 
Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond beth I'm going to stop here to make sure we understand what's going on and to make a few observations. As this chapter opens, you may remember from the previous chapter that the army of Israel is surrounded. Saul had gone in and stirred up trouble with the Philistines, and they came out in full force and had camped all around the forces of Israel. As Jonathan reflected on the situation, he decided that maybe they should test things to see if God was ready for them to fight and strike or whether they needed to wait. Because Jonathan knew that if God was with them, even though they had a small number of soldiers, they could still win the battle. So he and his armor bearers sneak away from everyone else, present themselves to the soldiers at the garrison of the Philistines, And the way things unfold, they see this as a sign from God that they will be delivered. So they attack the 20 men that are there, and chaos ensues as an earthquake and loud noises accompany this attack. Saul and the soldiers with him realize that Jonathan is gone, and so they come to join the battle. In addition, there were Hebrews who were part of the Philistine army. Whether they were forced there or not, we don't know for sure, but we're told that they abandoned the Philistine army and started fighting with the Israelite army. We're also told that there were people hiding in the caves, and they all came out, and they started fighting as well. That combined with the confusion that the Philistines had, and they were actually killing one another, the Philistines suffered a defeat that day. As we look at how these events unfold, I think there are many lessons we can learn, but I'd like for us to focus mainly on the trust that Jonathan puts in God. There are many times in our day that we talk about the need to trust God, but we're not always sure maybe what that looks like or how we go about that. In this chapter, I think we'll see several attributes that we'll exhibit when we put our trust in God. The first thing Jonathan shows us is that if we absolutely trust God, we will be confident. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, the Apostle Paul wrote, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Jonathan expresses a similar sentiment to his armor bearer when he says, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. If we're on God's side, it doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. God is going to provide the victory. When we trust God and we trust what he said about bringing us through all of our trials, we can approach them with great confidence. We see here in the story that God rewards Jonathan's boldness. And we can also read in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul wrote to a young preacher, and said that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Unfortunately, though, sometimes we misunderstand the boldness that God has called us to. Boldness is not arrogance. It's not walking around thinking that you're better than someone else just because God's on your side. It's not an opportunity to talk down to other people, to be condescending, or certainly not to be judgmental. Boldness is also not stubbornness. It is not being convinced that I already know everything I need to know, and therefore no one can tell me anything. Our boldness should not come from a confidence that we're right. It should come from the confidence that God is right. 
I do understand that sometimes we're convinced we know absolutely what God is thinking and what he would say. And we may. But that doesn't mean that we're not open to hearing what other people say and trying to discern the best way to handle the circumstance in the way that God would want us to. Because however we understand boldness, we have to remember that that has to be accompanied with gentleness and respect. And our boldness is not determined by our sheer volume. It's not how loud we can get. Can we shout someone down? Can we beat them into submission with our words? These things are not being bold. They're often us being defensive because we aren't confident of God's ability and willingness to win the battle for us. In Jonathan's case, he quietly goes on about his business, trying to figure out what God wants him to do, and he does that regardless of the consequences to him personally because he's confident that God can give him the victory. And because this is an issue between he and God, and he's wanting to do what God wants no matter what, there was no need for him to find the approval of others. We're told he didn't go talk to Saul. He didn't talk to the assembly of Israel. He sought God's direction and he followed it. Far too often, we're guilty of refusing to do the right thing because we're afraid that it'll offend others or they may not be accepting of us. So our confidence or our boldness is a measure of how much we trust God. And again, not a confidence in our own ability or understanding, but our confidence that God will lead us through whatever trial we face. In addition to that, whether Jonathan knew it or not, he could expect help. This was not something he was going to have to face by himself. He did ask his armor bearer if he was with him, and the armor bearer said, do whatever you need to do. I'm with you heart and soul. God had obviously worked on this armor bearer's heart as well. And we need to understand that we will never know how or when God is working in the hearts and lives of others to bring them together, to help us in our circumstances or to provide a solution for us. Christianity itself, by design, is best experienced in community. That's why God gave us churches and instructed us to be a part of a community of believers so that we could hold one another accountable, but also to share burdens and to provide for us strength and encouragement in our times of need. It's fascinating to see all of the people that gather together to help out Jonathan once they see the need and see that God is with him. But let's think about all of those folks that join him. Some of them had aligned themselves with the Philistine army. Some of them were hiding in caves. Others were over with Saul. Jonathan had been by himself. But the thing that rallied all of these people together for a common cause, for God's cause, was Jonathan stepping out in faith and doing what God wanted. You see, sometimes people are just waiting on a leader. They're not sure what to do next, so they need someone with enough faith to step out and lead them to initiate the action that God has called the community to. When we see a circumstance that requires action and we know the direction in which God is leading his people, we may be the ones who need to step out first so that other people will have the strength and the direction needed to do what God wants them to do. Now I'd like to read the rest of the chapter so that we can see some more things that we can learn about trusting God. Picking up the reading in verse 24, it says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. 
Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. So he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put it to his mouth. And his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright, because I have tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemy that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, and the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his own ox with him that night, and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how the sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. If this guilt is in your people Israel, give Thuman. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you've done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of my staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. And Saul said, God, do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not be one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them, and he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. 
Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua, and the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Merab, and the name of the younger was Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or valiant man, he attached him to himself. In the second half of this chapter, Saul has seen what's going on within the camp of the Philistines and understands that his son Jonathan is responsible. Saul sees this battle as a chance to avenge himself. He makes it about him, and therefore he asks all the people not to eat anything until he has been avenged. Jonathan didn't know that oath had been made, and he ends up eating some honey. Someone sees him do it, and they panic because they know about the oath, and they tell Jonathan. Jonathan says, that oath was crazy because you guys need food to have your strength to fight this battle. Look how just a little bit of honey has made my eyes brighter. While this is going on, Saul is inquiring of God if it's time for him to strike and fight the Philistines. Should they pursue the Philistines? When Saul makes his inquiry, he doesn't get an answer. So he knows something is amiss. He asks God to choose between he and his son and the people of Israel. Where is the problem, God? And God lets him know that it's with him and his son. Then Saul inquires, is it me or Jonathan? And it's revealed that it's Jonathan. And Jonathan is given a chance to confess and tell what he's done. And Jonathan tells Saul exactly what he did, that he ate some honey. Saul doesn't see any other way around this. He has to kill his own son because he broke the vow. But the people here will not let that happen because they say it's actually Jonathan today who was working with God. There's no way that God wants this man to die. So there was a provision that they could redeem him, pay a price so that he wouldn't die. Now, while we could spend a lot of time talking about the idea of redemption and what Jesus means to us, standing in our place, redeeming us so that we don't have to die, I want us to continue to look at how Jonathan's trust in God plays out here, how this story teaches us what it looks like when we trust God absolutely. So in addition to being confident and expecting help, I think we see here that part of trusting God is being able to slow ourselves down and think for a minute and not having a knee-jerk reaction, not doing whatever comes to mind immediately and then hoping God will work it out if it's wrong, but refusing to act hastily and to seek God's guidance and to do what God wants us to do in our circumstance. Trusting God is not doing whatever we want and expecting God to fix it. Trusting God means we'll take the time to think about our actions and make sure that they're consistent with His will. Saul does this by calling the priest and asking him to use the Urim and Thummim, which evidently were two stones of different colors, and one basically gave a yes answer and one gave a no answer. But it was used by God in these ancient times to help them discern the will of God. Jonathan himself is willing to stand there before his father and explain what he did and be willing to face the consequences. And the people are able to think about a way to rescue Jonathan, honoring God and the oath, and at the same time, rescuing Jonathan from Saul's hasty vow. And as we think about Saul's vow, he had placed a restriction on others that actually created a problem. 
as they looked to do what God wanted in fighting the Philistines, their energy was diminished because they didn't have food. Saul didn't think this through, and the people suffered because of it. It didn't make sense. It wasn't something God asked for, but it was hindering others from being able to experience all that God wanted them to. God had gifted them with the plunder of defeating the Philistines, and they couldn't even take time to eat some of it to regain their strength as they continued their pursuit. We need to understand in the same way, when we place our own restrictions on other people, we run the risk of keeping them from experiencing God's gifts. When we place expectations and restrictions on other people that are not commanded by God, but somehow fit into our understanding of the way things ought to be. We run the risk of limiting the way that God works in their lives. It may look different than you expect. It may look different than you want. But if everyone involved is doing what God has given them to do, together we will experience all the blessings that God has in store for us. So the next time that we realize that we need to trust God, We need to ask ourselves, are we confident that God is going to provide the best solution? Do we expect help from others who are eager to do what God wants? Are we willing to take initiative and even lead those people into action? Are we willing to take the time to think about what God wants rather than just immediately doing what we think is right? And are we willing to do that without judging others or restricting them in any way so that together we experience all that God wants for us. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.